Good morning. This is Alan Carroll at Carroll Pharmacy in Smithfield, and we are proud to bring you Hope for Today, a program we hope might help you, inspire you, or encourage you and give you hope for today. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend of grace to help me on to God? Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain, supported by thy word. I have just read some familiar words from Isaac Watts' hymn, Am I a Soldier of the Cross? I now want to read to you something about the role this hymn played in bringing together the powerful gospel team of evangelist D.L. Moody and soloist Ira Sankey. It happened this way. By the 1870s, D.L. Moody had become a world-famed evangelist, but he badly needed a musician to lead singing at his meetings. On a Saturday night in 1870, he preached at a convention in Indianapolis. At the last minute, a tax collector named Ira Sankey was asked to lead singing. After the service, Moody assaulted Sankey with questions. Where are you from? Are you married? What is your business? Sankey replied that he lived in Pennsylvania, was married, had two children, and worked for the government. Whereupon Mooney said abruptly, you will have to give that up. Sankey, dumbfounded, asked, what for? To help me in my work, I have been looking for you for the last eight years. The next day, Sankey received a card from Moody, suggesting they meet on a certain corner that evening at six. Sankey arrived first. When Moody showed up, he said nothing but entered a nearby store for a large box. He asked Sankey to stand on the box and sing. Sankey dutifully hoisted himself up and sang Isaac Watts, Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? Workers coming home from mills and factories were arrested by Sankey's beautiful voice and the crowd grew. Moody ascended the box and preached for 25 minutes before announcing that the meeting would continue in the opera house. The opera house was soon packed and Moody preached the gospel with great power. Finally, he closed the meeting, saying, Now we must close, as the brethren of the convention wish to come in to discuss the question, how to reach the masses. That was the beginning of three remarkable decades. Moody and Sankey, soldiers of Christ, crisscrossed the world, singing and preaching and reaching the masses as few others before or since. Are you a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? In other words, are you a Christian, a believer in Jesus Christ? I'm going to give you some questions you might ask when trying to determine where God is working in someone's life. You may want to write them down, especially if you are interested in the spread of the gospel message and being in the army of the King of Kings. You certainly want to know that you are in the right army and following the right leader, especially if you have any doubt that you are on your way to heaven or concern that you may be on the way to hell. I can tell you that you are headed one place or the other, and I hope for your sake, it's to heaven. Question number one. Do you have any kind of spiritual belief? Question number two. To you, who is Jesus? Question number three. Do you believe there is a heaven and a hell? 
And question number four, if you died right now, where would you go? To heaven or to hell? Based on the answers you received to these questions, you might be in a better position to share Jesus without fear. And these questions come directly from the book by the same name written by William Fay, Share Jesus Without Fear. Soldiers who go to war have trained countless hours and endured many hardships to prepare them as they go to battle against their enemies. They have sacrificed much as they have left their homes, their jobs, their families, the people and things that mean the most to them. And I now quote Catherine Lee Bates, who wrote these very familiar words, who more than self their country loved and mercy more than life. Soldiers are loyal to their commanders and obedient when given their marching orders. In fact, their very lives depend on being able to follow orders quickly and without hesitation. One would certainly assume that when soldiers go into battle that they are equipped with the gear they need to help them and to protect them. The equipment is designed for their own good. The same is true in God's army. Those of us in His army also need to be equipped and ready for battle. I'm now going to read to you from the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, chapter 6 of Ephesians, verses 10 through 17. Last of all, I want to remind you that your strength must come from the Lord's mighty power within you. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand safe against all strategies and tricks of Satan. For we are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against persons without bodies the evil rulers of the unseen world, those mighty satanic beings and great evil princes of darkness who rule this world, and against huge numbers of wicked spirits in the spirit world. So use every piece of God's armor to resist the enemy whenever he attacks, and when it is all over, you will still be standing up. But to do this, you will need the strong belt of truth and the breastplate of God's approval. Wear shoes that are able to speed you on as you preach the good news of peace with God. In every battle, you will need faith as your shield to stop the fiery arrows aimed at you by Satan. And you will need the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. When I read, in every battle, you will need faith, I know some listening today are battling disease or an illness or recovering from a surgery, or in a battle for your marriage, or your family, or in a battle to overcome addictions in your life. And some of you may be battling depression because you are getting older and not able to do the things you once could, or in prison suffering the consequences of bad choices. I can tell you that if you are not battling anything today, you need to get on your hands and knees and thank God, giving Him praise and glory. But don't feel left out of the battles, because if you are not in one now, get ready. No doubt your battle is on the way. Everyone will face battles in this life, and what we all need is faith. That verse 10 that I just read says, Your strength must come from the Lord's mighty power within you. What is that verse talking about? Where do we get the Lord's mighty power? Well, for those of us who have trusted in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit in us. And that is the very spirit of Christ himself. We know we are on the Lord's side because of his promises we read in the Bible. What those of us who call ourselves Christians should be doing is following the example of our leader, Jesus Christ. Jesus came to this earth and showed us how to live. In God Calling, we read, If I am your Lord, enough. 
Then I can command your obedient service, your loyalty. But I am bound by lordship to give you protection. I am bound to fight for you, to plan for you, to secure you a sufficiency of all within my power to provide. Think how vast that provision can be. Never doubt. End of quote. He gave us the golden rule found in Luke 6.31. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Jesus was always doing things that pleased his Father. Is the way you are living pleasing the Father? Are you bringing glory to God by the way you talk and the things you do and the way you treat others? If not, why not? Whose side are you on anyway? Can people tell whose side you are on? You might go to church every time the doors open, but if you are not trying to please God and following the golden rule, you might be what is known as a hypocrite. Listen to these words from Henry Blackaby. If you find yourself drifting away from the things you know you should be doing, Bible study, worship, prayer, understand that you are in great danger. You will fill your time doing something. As you neglect your Christian life, you'll be tempted to fill the gaps with activity that could bring you enormous heartache. Far better to be where you're supposed to be than to sit idle, an easy target for temptation. Begin today to do the things you know you should be doing. It will save you from regret in the future. End of quote. And hear this familiar verse from Proverbs 16:27: Idle hands are the devil's workshop. Idle lips are his mouthpiece. Now you know that if you were in the service and you talked bad about your leader, you would get in trouble. If you were not where you were supposed to be, you might be charged with desertion and might even get a dishonorable discharge. Be careful who you choose to follow. Henry Blackaby says, When we clamor for our own desires, God sometimes lets us have our own way. We then experience life apart from Him, without His protection and His blessing. End of quote. When you are on the Lord's side, never forget who has gone before you and prepared the way for you to follow. If you do not trust in His word and you do not follow His directions, you are not traveling a road that leads to blessings. Remember that Proverbs 16.20 states, Obedience brings blessings. I want to share with you this August the 24th devotional reading from Charles Spurgeon's Morning by Morning devotional book. Because Jesus has gone before us, things are not as they would have been if he had never passed that way. He has conquered every foe that obstructed the way. Cheer up now. Not only has Christ traveled the road, but he has slain your enemies. Do you dread sin? He's nailed it to his cross. Do you fear death? He's been the death of death. Are you afraid of hell? He's barred it against the entrance of any of his children. They will never see the abyss of perdition. Whatever foes may be before the Christian, they're all overcome. There are lions, but their teeth are broken. There are serpents, but their fangs are pulled. There are rivers, but there are bridges across. There are flames, but we wear that matchless garment that renders us invulnerable to fire. The sword that has been forged against us is already blunted. The instruments of war the enemy is preparing have already lost their point. God has taken away in the person of Christ all the power that anything can have to hurt us. Well then, the army may safely march on, and you may go joyously along your journey, for all your enemies are conquered beforehand. They are beaten. They are vanquished, and all you have to do is to divide the spoil. It is true you will often be engaged in combat, 
but your fight is with a vanquished foe. He may attempt to injure you, but his strength is not sufficient for his malicious attacks. Your victory will be easy, and your treasure will be beyond all measure. There are two men I want to mention this morning who have had a tremendous impact on a large number of people. These men founded organizations that have mobilized thousands of people to choose the Lord's side. The first one is profiled in the One Year Christian History book by Michael and Sharon Rustin. In Coweta, Oklahoma in 1921, a young mother prayed over her yet unborn son, dedicating him to the Lord's service. When the baby was born, his parents named him William Bright. As a child, he showed little interest in spiritual things, but his mother continued to pray for him tirelessly. Bill Bright graduated from college in 1943 and went west to Los Angeles to seek his fortune in business. On his first evening there, he picked up a hitchhiker who invited him to spend the night at a home where he was living. The young man worked for the Navigators, an evangelical ministry, and the home happened to be that of Dawson Trotman, the founder and director of the Navigators. Bright was impressed by the hospitality and stimulating conversation of the Trotmans and the other Navigators he met that night, but he quickly forgot them as he went on his way the next morning to pursue his financial goals. Meanwhile, his mother was still praying. The business he started was Bright's California Confections, which marketed gourmet foods in upscale shops and department stores. He was quickly achieving his dream of financial success. After repeated invitations from his landlords, Bright began attending meetings for college students and young professionals led by Dr. Henrietta Mears at Hollywood Presbyterian Church. He was very impressed by her and other members of the group, finding them intellectually stimulating and successful, yet not materialistic and selfish as he was. He began to realize that something was missing in his own life. After a particularly challenging teaching by Dr. Mears on finding happiness at the center of God's will, Bill went home yearning for this inner happiness. He later recalled, I knelt down beside my bed that night and asked the questions which Dr. Mears had challenged us to pray. Who art thou, Lord? What will thou have me to do? In a sense, this was my prayer for salvation. It wasn't very profound theologically, but God knew my heart and he interpreted what was going on inside of me. Through my study, I now believed Jesus Christ was the Son of God, that he died for my sin, and that, as Dr. Mears had shared with us, if I invited him into my life as Savior and Lord, he would come in. Bright enrolled at Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena. In 1948, he married his wife, Vanette, who had also been led to Christ by Henrietta Mears. Meanwhile, he was constantly torn between business, evangelism, and seminary pursuits. Late one night in 1951, while studying for an exam, he had a powerful vision of helping to fulfill the Great Commission in his lifetime by evangelizing college campuses. Greatly affected by the vision, he shared it the next morning with Dr. Wilbur Smith, his professor and mentor. Smith responded, This is of God. This is of God. The next day, Smith told him, I believe God has given me the name for your vision, Campus Crusade for Christ. After much prayer, Bill and Vonette decided that he should leave seminary to pursue his vision of bringing the gospel to college students and training them to evangelize their peers. Bright sold his confection business and rented a house one block from the campus of UCLA. And within a few months, 250 students, including the president of the student body, 
the editor of the school newspaper, and several top athletes had given their lives to Jesus. In 1952, he wrote the Four Spiritual Laws. These four laws outline Bright's view of the essentials of the Christian faith concerning salvation. It is summarized as four spiritual laws or principles that govern what he sees as human beings' relationship with God. Over 100 million copies have been distributed in all of the major languages of the world. The booklet summarizes four spiritual laws or principles, and here they are. Number one, God loves people and offers a divine plan for their lives. Number two, man is sinful and separated from God. Therefore, he cannot know and experience God's love and plan for his life. Number three, Jesus Christ is God's only provision for man's sin. Through him, you can know and experience God's love and plan for your life. And number four, we must individually receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Then we can know and experience God's love and plan for our lives. Again, that's the four spiritual laws of William Bright. Campus Crusade quickly spread to other campuses, and on August the 28th, 1953, Campus Crusade for Christ was officially incorporated. Bill Bright's vision and ministry have shaped Campus Crusade into one of the largest interdenominational mission agencies in the world. Its most substantial mark on world missions is the Jesus film, which has been viewed by more than 4 billion people in more than 650 languages with 121 million reported conversions since 1979. And in the reflection section, it says, The prayer of Bill Bright's mother was answered beyond her wildest imagination. Do you think God could use your life in an amazing way? Have you asked him to? And then it's Psalm 60, 12. With God's help, we will do mighty things. The second man I want to tell you about this morning was from England. William Booth was born in relative poverty in Nottingham, England in April of 1829. His parents were not religious and at best laboring class with little education. William's father died when he was just 14. By that time, he was helping to earn the family income as a pawnbroker's apprentice. Sometime during his 15th year, William was invited by a Wesleyan couple to attend chapel where he was converted. He wrote in his diary, God shall have all there is of William Booth. Then came another life-changing experience. He heard an American revivalist who led a remarkable religious awakening at Nottingham's Wesleyan Chapel. The rush of souls to hear the gospel led Booth to see that soul-saving results may be calculated upon when proper means are used for their accomplishment. Booth went on to make a lifelong commitment to the scientific revivalism methods of Charles Finney. Booth and a group of friends set out to evangelize the poor. They held nightly open-air addresses, after which they invited people to meetings in cottages. Their use of lively songs, short exhortations calling for a decision for Christ, and visitation of the sick and of converts anticipated methods Booth would write into Salvation Army orders and regulations 30 years later. When he was criticized for using secular tunes to attract crowds, he replied, Secular music, do you say, belongs to the devil? Does it? Well, if it did, I would plunder him for it, for he has no right to a single note. When his pastor proposed that William himself prepare for ordained ministry, he accepted and soon found himself pastor to Reform Methodist in Spalding, though their disorganized ways repelled him. During this period, William met Catherine Mumford, 
Beginning with their second meeting on Good Friday, 1852, they entered one of the most remarkable relationships in religious history. They married in a South London Congregational Chapel in June of 1855. By 1861, William was finding that settled ministry did not suit him, and he resigned. He and Catherine became itinerant evangelists. The Booths preached in tents, on unused burial grounds, in haylofts, in rooms behind a pigeon shop, anywhere to fulfill his famous words, go for souls and go for the worst. An invitation for Catherine to preach in London in 1865 led him to accept support from lay-run East London missions as a temporary ministry. East London in the 1860s was, in the words of one writer, a squalid labyrinth with half a million people, 290 to the acre. Every fifth house was a gin shop, and most had special steps to help even the tiniest children reach the counter. After seeing some of East London's gin palaces, he told Catherine, I seem to hear a voice sounding in my ears. Where can you go and find such heathen as these? And where is there so great a need for your labors? William soon organized his own East London Christian mission, which by 1870 resembled a Methodist society. His mission failed to attract the heathen masses, however. So in 1878, He energized it by giving it the name Salvation Army, an idea he borrowed from the successful British volunteer movement. A military structure was installed with General William Booth at the top. Military trappings were added over the next couple of years. The idea caught the imagination, and within 10 years, the Salvation Army was established in the United States, Canada, and Europe as well. William Booth was given the title The Prophet of the Poor. He was single-minded in his zeal. He once said, While women weep, as they do now, I'll fight. While little children go hungry, I'll fight. While men go to prison in and out, in and out, as they do now, I'll fight. While there is a drunkard left, while there is a poor lost girl upon the streets, where there remains one dark soul without the light of God, I'll fight. I'll fight to the very end. Over the years, he created an elaborate social relief system because he believed charity would spread the work of evangelism. At the time of his death on August 20, 1912, the Salvation Army had become a family-run Christian empire with seven of the Booth's eight children taking leadership positions. Today, following the pattern established by the first general, the Salvation Army marches on with over 25,000 officers in 91 countries. After he died, 150,000 people filed by the casket, and 40,000, including Queen Mary, attended his funeral. It was a remarkable end for a man born into poverty and who worked in the midst of poverty his whole life. When I was looking up information about William Booth, I ran across some quotes attributed to him, and I would like to share this one with you. We must wake ourselves up, or somebody else will take our place and bear our cross and thereby rob us of our crown. We all have our crosses to bear, even those of us in the Lord's army. Don't let anyone take your place. You are not where you are by accident. Bear your cross and win your crown. Are you a soldier of the cross? Then onward, Christian soldier. Hear these words written by Sabine Baring Gould. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before. Christ, the royal master, leads against the foe. Forward into battle, see his banner go. 
At the sign of triumph, Satan's host doth flee. On then, Christian soldiers, on to victory. Hell's foundations quiver at the shout of praise. Brothers, lift your voices, loud your anthems raise. Like a mighty army moves the church of God. Brothers, we are treading where the saints have trod. We are not divided, all one body we, one in hope and doctrine, one in charity. Onward then, ye people, join our happy throng. Blend with ours your voices in the triumph song. Glory, laud, and honor unto Christ the King. This through countless ages men and angels sing. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before. William Booth and Bill Bright both heard the Master say, Take up thy cross and follow me. And they took up their cross and they followed him. And thousands upon thousands of people are in heaven today because of their obedience to God's will. Whose side are you on? Have you taken up your cross in obedience to God's call? What is he calling you to do today? There is victory in Jesus for those who go wherever he leads. Lead on, O King Eternal, thy cross is lifted o'er us. We journey in its light. The crown awaits the conquest. Lead on, O God of might. In closing, I leave you with this verse from Psalm 31:24. Be strong and take courage, all you who put your hope in the Lord. Thank you for listening.
listening to Hope for Today, brought to you each Sunday morning by Carroll Pharmacy. We hope the message today has helped and encouraged you. If we can ever help you with your prescriptions, over-the-counter medications, or vaccines, we hope you will come in to our family-owned and operated independent pharmacy, where outstanding customer service is our goal. 